Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. True crime. Unsolved cases. Strange disappearances. Join me as we travel through the timeline of some of the darkest acts in human history. I'm your host, Kevin Eustace, and welcome to the first season of The Deadly Countdown. Episode 6, Ed Gein, The Plainfield Ghoul. If you ever wanted to have a Halloween party, that would be a great place for it. It was a, it was a spooky house out in the edge of town, and it uh, was dark, and there wasn't a sign of life there. That was Milwaukee reporter Dick Leonard describing the Gein family home. We all know of Norman Bates in Psycho. We all know of Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And if you've watched either film, you'll know the stomach-churning things that these fictional characters do to their victims. But sadly, normally you will find that a terrifyingly haunting fictional character is in fact based on a real person. Today's episode is certainly not for the squeamish and probably not for younger ears. That said, I'm in my mid-40s and even I struggled whilst researching this case. So do feel free to skip or even stop at any time. My name's Kevin Eustace, and welcome back to The Deadly Countdown, Episode 6 of Season 1. I'd like to firstly thank everybody who's reached out via social media for your kind comments about this new show. Starting a new venture for anyone is daunting, so I really appreciate each and every one of you who's taken the time to reach out with your kind comments. You can reach the show on any social media platform with the handle at Deadly Countdown. Now, before we dive into the life of literally one of the most terrifying people I've ever read about, I need to, of course, thank our new members over at Patreon. When you join our club over at Patreon, not only will you receive these episodes both a day early and ad-free, but you can also gain access to the Patreon-only podcast, Cold Case. Cold Case is a fortnightly Patreon-only podcast with its first episode dropping this very Sunday. So, if you'd like to gain early ad-free access, plus access to the Patreon-only show Cold Case, head over to patreon.com forward slash thedeadlycountdown. Just like these wonderful new club members have. Risa, Kimberly Breslick, Christian, Shell Bell, Erin Ramirez, Lorna Smith, Chris Dawson, Rachel Turner and Kathy Burnet. We're building a wonderful community of like-minded true crime enthusiasts over at Patreon. So a huge thank you to those guys who've signed up, and we'd love to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Head over to patreon.com forward slash the deadly countdown. But right now, for Ed Gein, the Plainfield Ghoul, let's start the clock. 
Edward Theodore Gein was born on August the 27th, 1906, in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Gein's upbringing on a remote farm in a small town of Plainfield was far from ordinary. He was the younger of two boys, raised under the watchful eyes of his parents, George, a meek alcoholic, and Augusta, a woman whose religious fanaticism and domineering nature cast long shadows over the family. Augusta Gein wielded an immense and, quite frankly, disturbing influence over Ed and his brother Henry. Her teachings were extreme. She preached a deep fear of sex and women, portraying them both as inherently sinful. Ed and Henry were brought up to see the world beyond their farm as a den of immorality and corruption. Augusta Gein's strong Lutheran views served as the unchanging rule inside the Gein home. Because the Gein family lived in a world that was almost fully closed off from the outside, Augusta Gein had complete control over the dynamics of the family unit. She kept a very close watch on her boys, Ed and Henry and severely restricted the amount of time they spent interacting with anyone who was not a member of their immediate family. This isolation was only heightened by the location of their dwelling, which was a lonely farm located just outside of Plainfield. This farm was more than just a home for Ed. It was a fortress of seclusion one that he seldom left other than when it was necessary for him to attend school, for example. But Ed had problems at school that went beyond academic. You see, Ed had a speech impediment that caused him to stand out from the rest of his classmates in the most unfavourable manner. And in turn, this meant he became the target of bullies, especially because of his timid personality. Imagine if the only place you could leave your home full of abuse to go to was a place you also received abuse. The effect of this non-stop abuse on a timid and vulnerable child could be detrimental. They could be, and indeed proved, to be deadly. It was the passing of Ed Gein's father, George Gein, in 1940 that marked the beginning of a string of tragedies for Ed starting with the death of his father. Because of this occurrence, Ed and Henry were forced to take on the obligations of the agricultural labour, which was a chore that was demanding on both their bodies and emotions. Then, in 1944, Ed's brother, Henry, passed away in an... accident. The setting? The Gein family farm. It was here that a seemingly routine task turned tragic. Ed and Henry were burning marsh vegetation, a common agricultural practice, but the controlled burn escalated into a full-blown fire. After the fire was subdued, a grim discovery was made. Henry Gein's body was found by firefighters, but the circumstances of his death were far from straightforward. Whilst the official cause of death was asphyxiation, likely from the smoke, there was an unsettling detail. 
unexplained bruises on Henry's head. They raised suspicions of foul play. Ed, who had been the one to report Henry missing, emerged from the incident without any apparent injuries. This contrast between the brothers' fate during the fire did not go unnoticed. The dynamic within the Gein family further fueled these speculations. While Ed deeply idolised their domineering and religiously fanatical mother, Henry had begun to openly criticise her. Actions that reportedly angered Ed. Despite these suspicious circumstances and the turbulent family dynamic, no formal investigation was conducted at the time to explore Ed's potential involvement. Indeed, suspicion regarding Ed's involvement only gained traction retrospectively after his arrest in 1957 for the other heinous crimes. Whilst all these speculations are part of the dark law surrounding Ed Gein, they remain just that. Speculations without conclusive evidence to support them. But it was the following year, 1945, that turned out to be the defining turning point and breaking point for Ed. As a result of a series of strokes, Augusta Gein, his mother and the person who had been the most influential figure in his life, went away. Ed had a complicated connection with his mother, he idolised her, despite the fact she was domineering and controlling. Or maybe it was because of those very characteristics that he idolised her that much. Following the death of Henry, Ed Gein and his mother Augusta found themselves reliant on each other. Soon after Henry's passing, Augusta suffered a debilitating stroke. This led Ed Gein to dedicate himself entirely to her care. After his arrest, Gein told a story about a visit to a neighbour, a man named Smith, to buy some straw. Gein and his mother witnessed Smith brutally beating a dog, a sight so violent that a woman who was inside the house ran out to intervene. But it was too late. Smith had beaten the dog to death. Now... Here's where we get a peek into the Gein family dynamic, or more specifically, Augusta's belief system. You see, Augusta, Ed's mother, is horrified, but not by the brutality towards the dog. No, she's fixated on the woman. It turns out this woman isn't Smith's wife. And to Augusta, that is a grave sin. She called the woman Smith's harlot, deeply offended by her mere presence. Now two things jump out here. One, Gein doesn't seem embarrassed in the slightest to say he didn't step in himself to help the dog. And two, his one sounding board, his one confidant, indeed his best friend, was this deeply disturbed woman. But as fate would have it, Augusta wasn't long for this world. She suffered a second stroke soon after, and her health deteriorated rapidly. Augusta Gein died on December 29, 1945, at the age of 67, and Ed Gein was beyond devastated. 
by her death. After the death of his mother, Augusta, in 1945, Ed, who had now lost his unnaturally close and dependent relationship with her, found himself alone on their family farm. This loss was the tipping point for Gein, whose mental health rapidly deteriorated. Not long after Augusta's death, Gein done something quite particular. He sealed off several rooms in the house that were special to his mother. We're talking about the upstairs, the downstairs parlour and the living room. It's like he wanted to preserve them as a shrine to her, leaving them exactly as she had, untouched, pristine. But now we get to the part where things become very intriguing, because while he preserved these rooms as if they were from the past in some kind of time capsule, what about the rest of the house? Well, it degenerated into complete sloth. In stark contrast to the parts that were saved, the remainder of the house deteriorated to a greater and greater degree. But what about Gein himself? Where did he live in this house, this time capsule? Well, he confined himself to a tiny room adjacent to the kitchen and lived there for the remainder of his free days. It was almost as if he were living in two different universes. One, a flawless recollection of his mother, and the other, a mirror of his own spiralling mental state. Gein became horrifyingly obsessed with death and the human body as a result of the severe solitude and grief brought on by his mother's death. Gein's acts at this period in his life are as awful as they are perplexing, and they signal the turning point in the entire Ed Gein narrative. Gein began digging up newly buried remains from nearby cemeteries in order to examine them. This act of desecration was not carried out at random. Rather, it was motivated by a sick and depraved yearning. Gein felt compelled to make mementos and trophies from the bodies he dug up. During this point in his life, he engaged in acts that went much beyond simple tomb robbing. The fact he fashioned objects from the flesh and bones of the deceased demonstrates just how serious and disturbed his mental condition was. This macabre obsession with the dead and turning their remains into artefacts is indicative of a serious disconnection from the standards of society, as well as human decency. It serves as a terrifying reminder of how mental degeneration and solitude may lead to crimes that are beyond our everyday comprehension. Was this morbid fascination a direct result of his unhealthy attachment to his mother and his inability to cope with her loss? Or was it a combination of a repressive upbringing, a fanatically religious mother and a lifetime of isolation and bullying? Either way, it set the stage for one of the most notorious criminal paths in American history. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. 
Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. November the 16th, 1957. This is the day when Bernice Warden, a 58-year-old hardware store owner in Plainfield, mysteriously vanished. That morning, around 9.30 a.m., people spotted a truck hastily leaving from the back. Oddly, the store saw barely any customers that day, which most thought was down to it being deer hunting season. But here's where things take a dark turn. You see, Benisa's son, Deputy Sheriff Frank Warden, stepped into the store around 5pm. What he found was alarming. The cash register wide open, and bloodstains on the floor. But also Frank recalled something critical. The night before, Ed Gein, a local, had visited the store and promised to return the very next morning for a gallon of antifreeze. And guess what? A receipt for that very antifreeze was the last one Bernice wrote before seemingly disappearing into the ether. Later that evening, suspect number one, Ed Gein, was arrested at a grocery store in West Plainfield, and the sheriffs took it upon themselves to search the Gein family farm. I bet some of them wish they didn't. When they got to the farm, they made a gruesome discovery. In a shed, they found Bernice Warden. Well, they found Bernice Warden's body, decapitated, hung upside down. It was a horrific scene. Her body was treated like a deer, tied by the ankles with a crossbar and ropes at her wrists. The autopsy revealed she was shot with a .22 caliber rifle, with all of the mutilation taking place post-mortem. The finding of Benice clearly led to a greater search of the Gein property, and they uncovered a true house of horrors. Ed Gein's home was found to be a macabre museum of human remains, with numerous objects crafted from body parts and skin. The items found were both disturbing and grotesque, reflecting his morbid fascination with the human body. Now, if you are squeamish, genuinely skip ahead. If you're not, the known items found in Gein's home included several chairs in Gein's home were found to be upholstered with human skin. There were bowls to eat out of made of skulls. 
One of the most notorious items was a belt crafted from severed human nipples. Lampshades and gloves had been found made from the skin of human bodies. Also, a corset and leggings made from human skin, indicative of Gein's own deep-seated issues with his gender identity. He also created death masks, masks from the skinned faces of women, which he mounted on the wall and undoubtedly wore. There were several individual collections of female genitalia. A wastebasket and several lampshades were also found, again made from human skin. These everyday items covered in human skin turned mundane objects into something straight from a nightmare. And then there was a curtain pull in the home, made out of pairs of lips, sewn onto a string. Figuring the lengths of total insanity that Gein was capable of, police decided to ask Gein, given the small population of the town, if he had any information on the disappearance of a Mary Hogan, a lady who had gone missing under suspicious circumstances over three years earlier. Mary Hogan, a tavern owner who disappeared in 1954, was a resident of Plainfield, and her disappearance had remained a mystery. That is, until Gein's arrest. You see, when questioned about Mary's disappearance... Gein openly and calmly confessed. Ed Gein claimed Mary was indeed his first murder victim. The 51-year-old tavern owner in Pine Grove, Wisconsin, was located about six miles from Gein's home. Hogan disappeared on December the 8th. She managed the tavern that was known to be a regular hangout spot for Gein. Gein openly admitted shooting Hogan in the back of the head with a 32 caliber revolver. Following the murder, he transported the body back to his farm. And it was this act that marked the beginning of his foray into murderous crimes, escalating from his previous activity of merely grave robbing. During the search of Gein's property, authorities found Mary Hogan's decapitated head. It was amongst the previously mentioned horrifying artefacts made from human skin and bone. The police now faced the daunting task of untangling the web of his twisted psyche, a journey that was as complex as it was unsettling. They needed to understand not just what Gein did, but why he did it and the full extent of his criminal activities. As the trial unfolded and psychiatric evaluations were conducted, a chilling portrait of Ed Gein emerged. He was revealed to be a deeply disturbed individual. Central to his actions was the pathological attachment to his mother, a bond that profoundly warped his perceptions and actions. Furthermore, his understanding and views of women and sexuality were grossly distorted, driven by deep-rooted beliefs planted years before by Augusta. 
an exploration into Gein's mental state and his motivations was crucial for comprehending the nature of his crimes. And it was this journey into the darkest corners of the human mind that revealed how a combination of psychological trauma, unhealthy attachments and a distorted worldview can lead to horrifying consequences. Gein was taken into custody in November of 1957, which paved the way for a court proceeding that would captivate the whole country. At first, it was determined that Gein lacked the mental capacity to stand trial. It was essential to his defence that his mental health, which had been profoundly impacted by a lifetime of seclusion and manipulation at the hands of his mother, be taken into consideration. It was not until 1968, over a decade after his arrest, that Gein was eventually deemed fit to stand trial for the murder of Bernice Warden, the tragedy that had devastated the little town of Plainfield, Wisconsin. Gein was charged with the murder of Bernice Warden. The trial itself was a spectacle of macabre details and psychiatric evaluations. Warden had been brutally murdered and dismembered, with her body found in Gein's house of horrors. Gein's confession to the murder of both Warden and tavern owner Murray Hogan, coupled with the discovery of human remains and objects made from body parts, painted a very gruesome picture of the crimes he committed. Gein entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity when he appeared in court. The doctors offered contrasting assessments of his mental condition throughout the trial, which served as the primary focus for the proceedings. Gein's mental condition, which was a result of his traumatic childhood and possible hereditary predispositions, was the primary focus of his defence since it allowed them to argue he was unable to appreciate the illegality of his crimes. Ed Gein was found guilty of murder by the judge, but he also ruled that Gein had gone insane at the time he committed the crime. Hence, the ruling said that Ed Gein was not responsible for his actions. This important judgment suggested that Gein would not be sentenced to time in jail. Rather, he would be imprisoned for the rest of his life in a mental facility. He was admitted to the Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane after being found legally competent to be committed. On July the 26th, 1984, when Gein was 77 years old, he passed away at the Mendota Mental Health Institute as a result of respiratory failure, a consequence of lung cancer. He was laid to rest at a Plainfield cemetery in a purposefully unmarked grave. Ed Gein's trial and sentencing not only highlighted the complexities of the American legal system when dealing with mentally ill offenders, but also underscored the dark intersections of mental health and criminal behaviour. His case remains a chilling reminder of the depths of human depravity and the profound impact of early psychological trauma. The gruesome crimes of Ed Gein cast a long, dark shadow that stretched far beyond the local community, 
permeating into the wider realm of popular culture. After the shocking discoveries at Gein's farmhouse in 57, the impact on both local society and popular culture was profound and lasting, in particularly in Plainfield, a town known for its tranquility where everybody knew everybody and neighbours were all friendly with each other. That image was shattered beyond repair. It didn't help that Plainfield was thrust into the national spotlight due to Gein's crimes. This unwelcome attention disturbed the peace of the Plainfield residents, who struggled to reconcile the horror of Gein's actions with a man they thought they knew. In addition to the shock, the sorrow, the absolute horror of these murders, they also had a tremendous influence on pop culture. It seems almost unbelievable, if not surreal, that something so horrific can make its way into an art form. It's arguable that without Ed Gein, we wouldn't have Norman Bates from Psycho, Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, all seemingly pulling some inspiration from the gruesome actions that Gein participated in. These figures who personify the very essence of terror and insanity have been ingrained in our Western popular culture. Perhaps it's a direct reflection of our society's preoccupation with the macabre and killers in general. What is without doubt is the legacy left behind by Ed Gein is a tangled web of personal sorrow and widespread cultural intrigue. His narrative is a disturbing reminder of the potential for evil that may lie under the surface of everyday life, as well as its power to catch the imagination of the general public long after the events in question have taken place. And of course, I include myself in that. Here we are now in 2023, and Ed Gein is the feature of Episode 6 of Season 1 of The Deadly Countdown. But where are we heading for episode 7 of The Deadly Countdown? Gloucester police have called another press conference in the morning. It's thought that could signal yet another body has been found at number 25 Cromwell Street. The 7th has already been discovered and police say the search will go on. They believe the number of bodies could go well into double figures. That's right, for episode 7 of season 1, we're taking a look at two of the most notorious serial killers in the UK, Fred and Rose West. And it will be truly an episode not to be missed. Don't forget, if you'd like to sign up to our Patreon, head over to patreon.com forward slash the deadly countdown, where you'll receive early ad-free releases, as well as access to our Patreon-only show, Cold Case, which debuts this coming Sunday. But until next week, when we take a look at one of the most despicable cases in UK history, stay safe, and for Ed Gein, the Plainfield ghoul, let's stop the clock.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.